The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. I'm going to read for us from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is the word of the Lord. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, if there's a buzzword that uh, has, goes around these days, um, it is the buzzword of being a thought leader, if you hear that a lot. It's been around for a, for a little while, but people still talk about it. There are a lot of um, articles and Forbes and Harvard Business Review, if you're any of a, a, of a business entrepreneur in here, you've probably looked or read up on what uh, it means to be a thought leader or a leader in your business or even uh, get your marketing out there. Well, um, I, I was reading this one article on uh, th- being a thought leader because it really is one of those things. And it's not just being a thought leader doesn't just go in one lane of type of work. Um, being a thought leader is, is anybody who wants to create a podcast. Anybody who wants, I mean, you can be, anybody in this room can be a thought leader. There's all sorts of that idea. And, and what the idea is of a thought leader, right, is to help us really navigate a, a, an area of expertise and maybe even navigate kind of where we are in life. But when I read this one article from the Harvard Business Review, I thought it was interesting how it even began. This one said, If you want to become a thought leader, it is gospel, there it starts, that you have to cultivate your brand. Simply having one is insufficient if you want to advance. You can't just be known as the guy who speaks Spanish or the programmer who can explain things well or that woman in legal who gets things done fast. That's why you need to establish yourself as a thought leader. Good employees and good executives are nice to have, but thought leaders are irreplaceable and indispensable. I'd be curious if we kind of did a little look at our podcast lists in this room, if you're one of those kind of people. How many of those are not just things you enjoy uh, in terms of, oh, this is kind of interesting, but how many of those you kind of look to to say, man, I'm really, I kind of want a little direction, a little encouragement, something to speak into where I really am, because that's what we want. And even if your podcast list isn't full of that, that's what we really are longing for, to navigate that. We follow thought leaders to hopefully give us help. I mean, we all feel the tension of the day-to-day. We all struggle with certain nuances of our work, our friends, our family, whatever that is. And we often are asking, who can give us just kind of that, that right jump forward? That advice, that thought to help me kind of move from being stagnant forward. We're going to look at 
um, two verses today. And we're going to be looking at these two verses throughout Advent. Two verses. We're going to slow way down. And we're going to look at four names from these that are given to an individual that as some say, and some commentators say, and I love how they say this, it's an invincible figure striding across the world stage. Think about this. That when we read these names, that what comes up for many commentators, they say it's of an invincible figure striding across the world stage. Who is this figure? Now, before we, many of you in this room may jump to that Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? Yes, but we're going to go there. We're going to talk about why. Why is this such an invincible figure, and why is he so important? See, in Advent, we're going to slow way down to look at these names because these names tell us of the Messiah who's to come, the Advent that, that we celebrate of this one. And those four names are here, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today, we're going to look at Wonderful Counselor, and we're going to break it down into the outline it gives us. We're going to look at what it means to be a counselor and what it means to be wonderful. Two points, a counselor and wonderful. You know, in the, in the setting of Isaiah, just as a quick note, so you know what we're looking at. Isaiah, maybe you've heard this, you heard it read uh, earlier by Ruth. She did such a great job. You're going to hear it again. You may have heard it a number of times over many Christmas seasons, but Isaiah is a, a large book that it actually could be seen as almost like a Bible in and of itself. 66 books, it's large it spans, though, a number of decades and a number of monarchies, a number of kings. And there are a lot of things going on in this prophetic book of Isaiah. It's a prophetic book. And not necessarily saying prophetic, and when we hear that word, not saying like everything that's going to happen or future telling, but what forth telling. In other words, it, it is God speaking of what will be, what is and what will be. And there are a couple things that are going on. One is the people of Israel are not doing well. They're not doing well at all. They're really struggling. And they're struggling with this, a lot of idolatry. They're struggling with being arrogant, thinking they know everything. They're struggling with what it means to be a nation and they're starting to fall apart and be divided in and of itself, even more so. They're fracturing. And that's what it's like inside their kingdom. Outside, that looming is a superpower called Assyria that is just looming. And it talks over and over about Assyria that's going to come in and wipe them out, to send them into exile. And, you know, we read in the paper, I mean, every day, the top headline is what's going on in the Middle East. These kind of things that we're reading. This is what's being foretold of what's going to happen to Israel in this passage. And this wasn't foretelling what's happening now. This is foretelling of Assyria then. If we think we're seeing devastation, imagine even then too. Of that looming and what's that coming to them. This is what they're doing. And in this monarchy, they see this David, the figure that maybe you've heard that name, over and over, David's been heralded. And you heard his name here on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. But yet what they've seen is establish it and uphold it. It's fallen apart. It has not worked. What's going to happen? And this chapter is all about someone who's going to be born, someone who's going to come and take over and be that one. 
And there are some who don't think it's Jesus. There are some who argue, I don't know, this could be another king. But what I want us to see as you walk through this, what is a counselor? Let's navigate that. Is it someone human or is is it someone else? See, the first name would be counselor, be connected to that. And counselor is different than what we think of. It's not uh, of coming into a room and and having that space and and that is so viable and and necessary and important in our world. This is a different type of counselor, not just of an emotional sense or relational sense, but actually it's, it's, it's in a different sense. It's an access and discernment. Typically, a counselor was used in a time of war. Most of the counselors were that. In Proverbs 24, 6, it says, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in in an abundance of counselors there is victory. So when it uses that language of counsel, it's necessary to have these counselors surrounding you as a monarch to help you know how to navigate not only the kingdom, but necessarily keep it. especially when you have somebody like Assyria looming. How do you navigate this? Who's going to lead us through that and buy it? And the description here is interesting. When it says wonderful counselor, as it it begins to fill out, you kind of go, okay, is this somebody who could really shoulder this? When it says, and the government will be on his shoulder, that's a lot of weight. Who can do this? I remember when I went to, on a trip to Washington, D.C. with my um, now seventh grade son. It was a sixth grade trip. And we went into the Capitol building. If you've ever been there before, you can see a lot of the artwork, especially in the rotunda. It's really beautiful. But um, they talk a lot. If you, if you take a tour and have some of the guides talk to you about um, a lot of the paintings and artwork, there's a lot of direction towards George Washington, particularly if you look on the ceiling. And historically known, if you may or may not know this, two floors below, there was actually a tomb that was built that's empty that was created for Washington's body. That he, he would, they, everybody wanted him to be buried there so that they had this kind of, you know, the artistic above, and then they would have a glass floor that you would look down and see it. But, they, but if you walk in, there's no glass floor. Well, because his wife and Washington himself said, no, 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 I don't want to be buried there. I want to be buried elsewhere in a normal gravesite. And, and what was interesting is to hear the guides talk over and over about how much as time went on that as one of the founding fathers that, that they wanted to deify and hold up Washington, George Washington, <laughs> over and over. That's why they wanted to build this tomb that they wanted to hold him up over and over, and he kept pushing against that, back against it, why he didn't want to be buried there. This figure, though, is different. Different than what we hear in that kind of thing, who didn't want it. This person, this figure, who, again, remember, invincible, who strides onto the world stage. This someone holds something different, not as you read this human, but as something divine. John Calvin, one of the, one of the um, theologians said that these titles here are strange. Like if you read these wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, they're strange, he said, because they're, they're adapted to the case at hand. 
There's something more to them. No mere man could hold them. They're supernatural. And here's the thing. This counselor is to help his people counsel in time of war. Look, if we're to see this as it is, the application point is quick and simple. If this is who they think it is, this counselor isn't just coming in that time. In fact, the person being described here wouldn't come until way later, until Assyria was long gone, even defeated themselves. That the counselor here is being described as someone who would help his people forever in times of war. I don't know if you've ever heard or read books on what the church is described as. The church is described, those who are, who are Christians, followers of Christ who have actually died and gone to heaven are, are considered triumphant. Have you ever heard this language before? I don't know if you have. It's, it's called the, the church triumphant, that there's a whole group of people in heaven, the church triumphant. Do you know what theologians for centuries have called the church here on the grounds? The church militant. The church militant. Now, it doesn't mean we're taking up arms, but that we know what are we in the midst of? Look, it's kind of like, like this. I don't think we know how often as much as we feel it that we are really at war right now in our own world. Not just the things that we see that are horrible atrocities all around us, but within us, even the things that we don't see. And I think if we did see them, it would be astonishing. Because what's being described here of this counselor is not just of natural, but supernatural to guide you and navigate you in this life in things that you see and don't see. It's like those, have you ever seen those, um, I remember going to the, the, um, the um, restroom at one of my kids' schools and they have on the door, you know, the thing, make sure you wash your hands. You know, most of the time it just says, make sure you wash your hands. This sign, no, it says, here's what your hands look like if you don't wash them. And it's just gross. I mean, they want to gross you. They want you to go in the bathroom and be like, oh, I mean, just little weird. And some things have legs on them. And you're like, weird curly cue stuff. Like, I was like, this is gross. Like, why? You don't need to just tell me to wash my hands. I promise I'll do it. But it, look, there is a battle, a war that we're a part of. And I know that that sounds so funny. But we're in the midst of one. And we need to navigate it. Look, I don't know if you do this on Sundays. Every now and then, uh, we've done this before. If you drive on Sunday, starting at noon at Elmington Park, you know what I'm about to say? If you drive to Elmington Park and buy it right there by the school, West End and 440, every Sunday there's a battle raging. And they do not like to be called foam fighters or LARPers. But there are people there and they cone off a section and they go to battle. I mean, and you can, you can sign a waiver. If you go on the website, you can sign a waiver and they literally say on the website, we fight from noon till dark at your own risk. And there are now like food trucks there. People want to go watch them fight. And for many of us, like we think about, like you hear a pastor talking about we're at war, no, no, no. But don't you know the the war that you're in day to day, and don't you long for the counsel to navigate 
life in a way that you just can't. Here's the real question. What shapes you? What do you look to to be most formative in your life? It could be a podcast you go back to. It could be a person. But what are the words, where are they coming from that are most formative to actually shape your life, to help you make sense of the things that you're like, I just have no idea. Because most of life is that. Most of life is in the gray, and it is hard. We long for a counselor. We long for someone here. This is the counselor that comes, and guess what? He's not just a counselor. Like any other thought leader, he's someone greater. He's a wonderful counselor. In fact, the translation could be considered wonder counselor or wonder of a counselor. And some say marvel of a counselor. But the word wonder isn't just something like curiosity or wow, that's great, or you're just kind of taken back by it. When it uses the word wonder, if you were to do a search, and I don't know if you ever have a kind of a little search engine on your phone or on your laptop for like Bible reading stuff. Um, If you're here, and even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, this would be a really interesting thing for you to do. Um, Go in to find a BibleGateway.com, easy thing to do. And type in the word wonder or wonders and see how many verses come up. Unbelievable. And do you know what they say over and over? It's not the people going, they're in wonder of God. No, what it does is say, his wonders. It's talking about God's activity. Like in Exodus, in the book, in the very beginning of the Bible, when God parts the Red Sea, Over and over, that work and other things like it, the plagues, many things in the Bible, they're considered God's wonders. An activity done by God alone. In Judges, it even says this, a book um, that's kind of a historical book. He's called Wonderful. In fact, somebody asks the name of the Lord, and an angel of the Lord says to him, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? Poetry, prophecy. If you read any of the Psalms that, that, that are so poetic and beautiful, they marvel at the wonders of God, of who he is, his character, and they connect to his actions. And it's almost difficult to kind of like try that on. But what this is saying is a wonderful counselor is that it is so much so an action of God's counsel. It's so much so supernatural that it's not like anything we're used to. The closest thing we can think of in the Bible as an illustration is actually, and this is interesting if you, if you read this, and sometimes you think of the throne of David and over his kingdom. Many even in this book would read and go, okay, Solomon. So Solomon was David's son and who was incredibly wise. He actually prayed, uh, the Lord gifted him with incredible wisdom. And in 1 Kings chapter 10, a figure um, named the Queen of Sheba, you can read about this, uh, just hears about him and is like, I- I've, gotta go, I've gotta go see this guy. His, his, his wisdom and renown has gone all over. And listen to what it says about Sheba when she comes to visit him and to see what he's really like. And she hears him over and over. It says, 
When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings, and that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She inquired so much about how he is wise, it took the breath out of her. And she said, the report was true that in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe my reports until they came to my own eyes and seen it. And behold, the half was not even told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report I even heard. And listen to what she finishes with. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Happy are they. Imagine it, what would it be like for us to really see the counsel of God as something that delight? It's not something like just rote Bible reading. But someone coming from a completely foreign land, coming to even observe Solomon, who, by the way, he and himself would have his deficiencies of counsel. He would even need counselors around him, even though with his great wisdom. The wonderful counselor is the one who doesn't need counselors around them whose counsel is so sufficient and who shoulders so much of the rule that he happy are his servants. Happy are those under his rule. Happy when it says in Colossians 3 in the New Testament 15, it says, let the peace of Christ what rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and what? Be thankful, be happy. What would it be like for Advent to be different in that way? To have the counsel of Jesus counsel us so deeply. And and, and for many of us, we're like, yeah, I need to read my Bible more. It's not just reading your Bible more. It's being with Jesus. It's hearing his words, but hearing them so much and knowing his delight over you that he shoulders this, the power in him. Look, this is what Jesus said when, in, later on when it, it came and it said that the Pharisees loaded up heavy burdens. Notice in this passage that the government would be on his shoulders. Look, how much of the rule do we try and take on ourselves? We seek counsel in order for us to rule rather than knowing who rules and receiving the counsel to live. And what Jesus said, so opposite of the Pharisees, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How opposite is that of the Pharisees? Who when they gave counsel to everybody, they were like, you need to do more. You're doing well, but if you did this, it would really make you complete. Who were the thought leaders? Who were the ones that everybody looked to? It was the Pharisees. They weren't bad people. They were telling everybody how to live in relationship with God. And what does Jesus do? He comes and says, let me tell you what it's like. Here's what it's really like. My yoke is easy and my burden is light because the government rests on his shoulders. And his counsel is true. Look, when I come to this table and I walk down here, I want you to be reminded of something. And we're going to sing this song in a second. 
And I love it. But we're celebrating, even as you see this candle lit and you see this table, there's a mix happening here. It's beautiful. We're seeing a celebration of the first advent, and this is not the only time you're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this so much that you're gonna walk out of, uh, of every sermon and be like, first advent, second advent. Okay, got it. And guess what? We live between the advents. We're celebrating the first one. And we're waiting the second one. And how in the world do we navigate the in-between time? This tension. In a moment, Parker and the band are going to come up, and they're going to play my favorite. This is not because it's my favorite. But we're going to play one of my favorite Christmas songs, Joy to the World. And there's a whole stanza in there I want to read to you, and I want you to think about this for a second. What Joy to the World is about. And joy, think about this. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. What does he prove? The glories of his righteousness and how does that stand to finish? And wonders of his love. And wonders of his love. And wonders and wonders and wonders of his love. Where is his wonderful counsel? It is in his love for you. There has been no other ruler who could fit this description, who would come and actually fill this table beyond this light to give his body and blood to counsel you, to comfort you, to keep you, to direct you and navigate you through what is so difficult, what is seen and unseen, what no man can touch, this one could. But he had to come to do it. So when you come to this table, you're receiving his counsel. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you're, you're enjoying this morning seeing folks, but you're thinking, I don't know if I believe him yet. I don't know if he's a, maybe he's a counselor, but I don't know if he's the wonderful counselor yet. I'd encourage you not to take of this table just because everybody else is. I'd encourage you to either come forward, fold your hands, receive a benediction, or, or, or remain in your seat. Ask the question, as we walk through these names, are these names of someone that you can remain neutral about, or is this someone you have to say, I have to deal with him? And guess what? His wonders aren't to squash you. His wonders are of his love for you. Amen? Amen. Now that is Advent. Praise be to God. Let's stand together.